0: Today's scripture reading is Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation Let the godly exult in glory, let them sing for joy on their beds, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment of written, this is honor for all his godly ones, praise the Lord. This is
1: the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, good morning, Redemption. How you doing? Uh, you're going to have to do better than that. <clears throat> All right. We'll just move on. So <laughs> obviously, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we are going to... Hey. How you doing? You yeah? Nah. Not necessarily. Okay. Um, we're just going to have a conversation, right? Just gonna okay. <laughs> okay. So, one of the things I wanted to mention is, um, and it's obvious now. Sorry, I'll talk into the microphone. Okay. (laughs) This is totally unscripted, and we wanted it that way this morning. I mean, we've talked about what we're going to do this morning, but uh, it is unscripted. We wanted, um, let me put it this way. Cody and I have both studied very hard for this morning. We've done our research, we've done our work. Uh, but we wanted it to just, flow. we didn't want to be reading words and things like that. So here's what we're doing. We're closing out the series in the Psalms this Sunday. We've had, this will be our 11th message in the Psalms uh, for the summer. Next week we start the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to go through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, between now and Advent. So that's what we'll be doing in the future. But today we close the, uh, the, the series in the Psalms. And what we wanted to close with, are the Psalms of praise, worship, and formation that we find from 146 through 150. Certainly there are other Psalms of praise, worship, and formation, but these five in particular are grouped together as such. And as I was looking at what we were gonna do in the Psalms, I thought and prayed very hard about the fact that Cody's title here, if you wanna give him a title here, his official title at Redemption Arcadia is the pastor of of formation and worship, church formation and worship. And so these psalms are about worship, praise, and formation. So I thought it would be uh, really important to have his uh, voice up here. So I want you to kind of look at it this way. Um, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit more academically and instructionally about the psalms. And then he's the guy that's going to talk more about formation. I'm going to be looking at them from 30,000 feet. He's going to look at them on the ground where we live Uh, i went to fuller seminary so i'm the one that lives in theory he went to dallas seminary so he's the one that lives in reality so
0: we wanted you to get he said that (laughs)
1: yeah we wanted you to kind of get both uh uh, both perspectives today um and we both love these psalms and so that's you you, i think you'll you'll hear our hearts coming out in that uh let me just give you an overview of the psalms first and you'll see it up on the on the uh, screen um, psalm 146, the one that we'll start with, uh, is simply praise God because he is God. This psalm makes the point that you should not praise man or human beings or princes or, in our, termination, in our, in our um, terminology, uh, political figures or, or people in government, that, that salvation only comes through the Lord. So praise him uh, for who he is. The second one, of course, Psalm Uh, 147 is praise him because he's sovereign and that's what that whole psalm is about just his sovereignty he he is all-powerful all-knowing and and all always present so praise him because he's sovereign sovereign. Psalm 148 praise him because he is the creator he has created everything and so he owns everything and so praise him for that reason Uh, Psalm 149 uh, which would be Cody's favorite psalm that's why we had it read this morning in in these five psalms is uh, praise God because he is the true judge, but he comes as the true judge with both mercy and wisdom. So he He has both sides of, if you want to say it this way, the sword figured out in that regard. And then Psalm 150, the shortest of the five psalms, um, praise God with everything that we have, anywhere that we are, because he is everything and he is everywhere so that's kind of an overview and and to kind of introduce us to Psalm 146 uh, let let me just say this and 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 I'll kind of get this out of the way this has always been um, I'll just admit I'm kind of wired this way it's always been a bailiwick of mine Um, but I see it so much in churches um, that that I think it needs to have it needs to have correction whenever we get an opportunity to do that And that is the fact that we have such a misunderstanding of what true worship is. Uh, Generally, when we talk about worship in the church context, uh, two things happen. One, we talk about the singing and music part of church, and we don't understand that worship encompasses everything else in life, Uh, that that it's not just Sunday morning, uh, but let's talk about Sunday morning, you are worshiping uh, when, when we are doing the sermon, that's part of worship. Uh, that you are worshiping when we're doing our prayer of confession. That is part of worship. We're worshiping when we're taking communion. We're worshiping when we're giving. We're worshiping when we're praying with each other. But even then, as we leave here, we worship God with all of our life. Uh, one of our seven core values in shared culture at Redemption Church is that all of life is all for Jesus. And so you are worshiping when you are in relationship with others. You are worshiping in your families, in, with your friends. You are worshiping when you are at work. How you do your job should be an act of worship. And so worship is comprehensive, and we need to understand that. Here's the second problem, and this is where I I really drive to the bucket, if you want to use a basketball uh, uh, analogy or metaphor there, okay? The, The second one is that worship is treated, for the most part, in the United States, in American Evangelical Christian Churches, worship is treated as a consumer product. Now, I want to let that hang there because this is, I'm I'm telling you, it is treated as a consumer product. It's almost like the old 60s when you're, you you know, you're watching Dick Clark in the American bandstand and then they'll play a new song and they'll have the couple come up. What'd you think? Well, it had a good beat and I really like the words. That's how we treat worship at churches. We treat it as a consumer product Which makes worship about who? Us. Well, who is worship really supposed to be about? God. Do you understand that when we're worshiping on Sunday morning, there is not an audience of 200, there is an audience of what? One. It is always to be directed towards God. And if you do some word studies in the original languages of the Bible, so Hebrew mostly in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament... There are generally four words, Hebrew and Greek, that are translated uh, into English, the English word worship. At the root of every one of those words is serve, to serve, to offer service. It is not to consume. In fact, on Sunday mornings, we even call it a worship what? Service, not a worship store. It's not a product. It is something that we do in our lives for the glory of God in order to praise him. But we just have this tendency to take everything. And, and this is a proclivity of, of mine as well. And certainly of Cody's as I've gotten to know him. But it's a proclivity of, of human nature. I just figured I'd start it. And oh, just wait. Yeah, I know. Um, it, it's a proclivity of us to just generally because of our fallen nature, because of our sinfulness, to take everything that really is designed for something else or someone else, namely God, and make it about us. There's an old story of, of a, a 19th-century uh, farmer who got very excited because he had a cow that was, uh, that was pregnant. And so they, 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 were, they were very excited about having this cow uh, that was going to have a, a baby and a baby calf and, and all this, and, and he was so thankful to God that he had blessed him this way, um, that, that, that just the excitement was palpable. And so then came the day when, the, when the, the cow had the calf. And in fact, there were two calves. He had twins. He was so excited, he came home and he told his wife, the cow had two calves, two, we got two. So we're going to give uh, one of those calves to God. So we're going to raise these calves and eventually we'll take them to market. And when we sell one of them, we'll take the proceeds. And when we sell the other one, we'll give the proceeds to God's work. So one cow is ours, one cow is God's. And she said, well, which is which? And he said, well, don't worry about it. We'll figure that out later. About four weeks later, he went out and he found out that one of the twin calves had died. And so he came home and he said, bad news, dear. God's cow died. (laughs) (laughs) That's just who we are, naturally. That's just who we are. And so Psalm 146 in particular pushes against this notion. So let let me just read it to you again. Well, you haven't read it. We haven't read it yet. Aaron read 149. So let me read it to you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Look at that verse 4. That's, that's a smack of reality right in our faces, right? And that's, by the way, all of us are destined for that. Blessed, happy Sunday. Blessed is he who helped, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets his, the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He holds up, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So here's the message of Psalm 146. Praise God simply because he's God and we are not. That's, that's the overarching view of that psalm. Where does the rubber meet the road for you in that?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much, I think, in this psalm. Uh, one of the things that really strikes me, uh, you know, I'm constantly listening to different worship songs, partly just for fun, mainly for research, um, just to kind of see what we're going to be doing on a Sunday. And um, I'm struck always by the, the types of pronouns that are used in worship songs. Um, and... Uh, Obviously, there is a breadth and width as to what we can do. We can always come before God and say, hey, God, I need you. I, I long for you. I do all this stuff. God, this is what you have done for me. There, there's an appropriateness to that. But overarchingly, I, I find ourselves are constantly the focus of many of the worship songs being written today, many of the stuff that we're trying to sing, and if I look at the Bible and and what the biblical model of how we should worship God, I think it should be the opposite. I think that if there's anybody that should be mentioned more than anything else, it's God, and that's what this psalm, I think, shows. It says at the beginning, I will sing of your praise. It says, I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. That That second verse is about the only time it mentions himself. The rest of it is going over and over again. This is what God has done. The Lord has met the sojourner, he has cared for the widow, he has given sight to the blind, he's given justice to the oppressed, food to the hungry, over and over again. And it's talking about what God, who he is, and what God has done. And I think that that sets a good tone and balance for what should our worship generally be. It should not be us kind of declaring what God has done for us and how he makes us feel, although there's a time for that in worship. What it should be is us over and over again saying, this is who God is, and this is what he has done. This is who he is, and this is what he has done. Because I, I, I think what it comes back to, and, and I think this is going to be helpful in understanding a lot, of, a lot of these psalms, and even just, I think, understanding worship. I, I, I think it's easy to understand it as a conversation. Uh, that, that's kind of a way that we can oftentimes, I think, relate to it. We have conversations with people all the time. It's kind of this dialogue. Um, but I think we, we have this, this idea that it is us who started the conversation. <laughs> that we're the ones who show up and we invite God in. We say, hey, you're welcome here. Come and talk to me. <laughs> um, and it's so, uh, it's so
1: true, though. I, you I, know, yeah.
0: I, I have a few things that I want to tell you. Um, <laughs> but that's not the really the way it works. From the very beginning of time, it was God... Who initiated. It was God who spoke the world into being. It was God who met Abraham. It was God who met Moses. It was God who met David, who got, called Samuel. Throughout history, it is God who sent Jesus into the world to become the word, the word who became flesh to walk among us. It is God who sent his spirit at Pentecost. It was God who started the conversation. And we have only really have one task in the whole thing, and that's that we respond appropriately to God's initiation. God has started a conversation with us, and he started it by saying, I am the God who loves you, who has forgiven you. I'm the God who seeks justice, who cares for the oppressed, who cares for the poor, who cares um, for, for the hungry. I am the God who is righteous in all ways. I'm the God who is sovereign above all things. That is who I am. What should you do? You know, it, it, that's really, that, that's our only just response. And the way we should respond to that is kind of what we've seen throughout the song. We respond by first and foremost recognizing it. We praise him for it. We we recite who he is and what he has done. We lament when it's appropriate because when he's declaring these things, we realize that our own hearts are not there. We realize that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. So we respond with confession and lament. We respond with praise and we respond with joy because he's granted us forgiveness. He's granted us salvation. And that's what worship is. I, 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 I think that um, there's a lot of forms and shapes that worship can take, but it is always in the context of a response to what God has done and what God has started. Um, and the other thing is, is, is I think what I see in this psalm, and I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, so my wife's name is Lauren. Let's say the only ways that I communicated love to her was by declaring how she makes me feel said, Lauren, you know, you make me feel like the, the best guy in the room. You make me feel good all the time. You make me feel happy. You make me feel, the list goes on. Now, surely there's maybe appropriate times when I can tell her how she makes me feel. But that's not really the best way to show love. Any, anybody who's in a relationship, I think, can attest to that. What that ultimately does is makes her feel deeply burdened for how I feel. <laughs> you know? <laughs> She's like, oh, man. All right. I've got a giant weight around my shoulders. But if I want to show her that I care about her, say, this is what I recognize in you. I love the way you look. I love the way you act in certain circumstances. I love the way you care for our kids. I love the way you reach out to our friends and show them kindness. I love the way you, all these different things. That's the way you show love. That's the way you, you respond appropriately to somebody that you are in a, 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 that type of relationship with. Yet somehow we, I think we recognize that and that's an easy thing to see in a relationship with one another. But we are blind to it with our relationship with God. Yeah. Oftentimes. Is that, that we, we think that talking about what he has done for us, who we are in him, is the only and bo- best way to show our affection towards him. And, and, I, and I, what I love about the psalm is that it pushes directly against that. It says, no, the way you do that is you tell God what he's like. That's the predominant way in which we should worship him. We should tell him what he's like over and over and over and over again. And then the, the, the only last thing that I'll say, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the next psalm, is that this is the way it begins to form you. Um, I'll talk about this more in the next one, but worship is not just something that we respond to. It's not just something that we are responding to God to, but God is actually doing something to us through worship. God is changing us through worship. When we are submitting ourselves to who he is, when we are recognizing, when we read through this list, he's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one who keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind. Lifts up those who are bowed down, loves the righteous, watches over the sojourner, upholds the widow and fatherless. He brings the way of the wicked to ruin. When we recognize those truths about God, ultimately what we are recognizing is that as God's people, that's what we're supposed to be about. Those are our values. Those are our priorities. Our priorities are reshifted and retrained under the worship of God. That as we recognize the reality of who God is, our hearts change towards that. Our desires ultimately are for those things. And that's why it's so important that we worship regularly. This is habitual. This is not something we just do when we feel like it. But that we are submitting ourselves to the reality of who God is on a regular basis. Because ultimately that does something to us.
1: You know, it's interesting that you ended with that. I I didn't know you were going to do that. But as I've been studying these psalms in particular, and especially 146, and with The Sermon on the Mount coming up, I mean, next week we're going to do, you know, the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It got me thinking exactly what you just said, how true worship does begin to form us. Uh, When I first became a Christian almost 30 years ago, for quite some time, I really thought that my Christianity was defined essentially this way. I was a good Christian if I didn't cuss and I didn't drink. Where do you get that in Scripture, though? Especially a psalm like this, okay? Now, I'm not here to talk about how to be a good Christian. I don't even know. We could parse that theologically and throw it out the door, right? Okay? But if our hearts are going to be formed like God's, I don't think God is as concerned about what we're drinking or what we're saying as he is about these types of things, that we're taking care of the widow, the oppressed, the poor, the prisoner, those who cannot uh, stand on their own, that, that we are to have a heart for those people, those, are, those who are marginalized. That's a part of what genuine Christianity is about, is having the heart of Christ and then manifesting that in our lives. And we'll see that next week, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. So now 147, let me just read the first 11 verses. It's the longest of the five, but this is the Psalm um, that where we say worship God because He is sovereign because He's all powerful. Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. I'll mention something about that. It's pleasant to praise God. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives them all the, uh, of their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the wire. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food. Here's his sovereignty. And to the young ravens that cry... Now, verses 10 and 11 are particularly important. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who who hope in his steadfast love. Uh, Verses 10 and 11 is essentially the gospel in a nutshell right there. It's not us, it's Christ. It's not us, it's God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, When we put our faith and trust in the power of worldly things, we will eventually, if not sooner, always be let down. It's the old uh, saw that, that false gods never fail to fail. And that's what he's saying here. Because a false god is never sovereign. A human being is never sovereign. Only God is sovereign, so only he has the ability to be God, not us and not anybody else. Uh, and then this idea that it's pleasant to praise and worship God. Um, it, it, again, this is <clears throat> such a journey with Christ. I, I, it's, maybe it's hard to see it at first, but the longer you're with him, the longer you're getting to know him, the longer you're responding to God, the longer you're in conversation with him through his word, through prayer, and through community, uh, what you begin to understand is that there really is great freedom in knowing that you're not God. That you aren't in control. Yet every one of us, have you ever described somebody around work, maybe not too out loud, but "Eh, that guy's really a control freak. Okay, guess what? We're all control freaks. It's just in our nature. But there's great freedom in relinquishing that and recognizing that God is actually in control. God is actually sovereign. There's where the freedom lies, and that's why it becomes pleasant to give him his due. It becomes pleasant to let him know, I I get it, and I submit to your will, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. It is wisdom to submit to your will. It is foolishness to try to inflict my will in this world. So, praise God because he's sovereign. You said you had something going on in that. Yeah, well, it's it's a similar psalm to the one before in that it's
0: really just kind of listing off and going through the nature of of God, and, and you see this all the time in, in the Psalms and in other places in the Scripture where they're just going over again. This is who God is. This is what He's done. This is what He cares about. And what's interesting is, I, and this is true, I think, just in general, uh, but you see it in this Psalm and you see it in the previous Psalm. And that's that when we are worshiping God, when we are truly worshiping God, a byproduct of that is that worship, true worship of God exposes our idolatry. It exposes our idolatry. When you look in 10 and 11, it says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasures in the legs of a man. In that time, there was a, there was a lot of um, faith put in the power of the military, the power of might. Uh, that was kind of the way in which people had power and influence. It was by just their actual strength, their ability to subdue and control people. And you see this over and over again, actually through... The history of Israel is they would put their faith and trust in things like that. Um, they, they would put their faith in mighty warriors or kings or other things like that. And What he's saying here is if you're truly worshiping God, you can't do both. You can't put your faith and your, your trust in man, in whatever system you think is going to save you, and in God. You ultimately have to make a choice. And that's kind of the reality of worship. And, and that's what I mean when I say the true worship of God, what it ultimately does is also it exposes our own idolatry. Um, if you remember, I, I said that worship is a conversation started with God. If we can take an even bigger step back, I think what we need to realize is when God made us, God made us to be worshiping creatures. God gave us a heart that is aimed at something. And it was made to be aimed at God. That's how we were created to be. We were created and formed for our heart's deepest desire to be aimed at God and to be met in Him. But as we've talked about, because of sin, our aims are, 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 I guess, misaimed, would be a way of putting that. And and that's kind of what happens at the core. It's kind of the core of sin, is that our deepest desires are aimed at things that aren't God. And what we need to know, and we need to be wise to this, church, is that, There's only two things that are happening. There's either God initiating a conversation with you and us responding appropriately in worship, or it is Satan putting forth a counterfeit and us responding in worship to that. There is never a point in time in which we are not worshiping something. And in the same way that the worship of God does something to us, when we worship idols, it does something to us. We are changed by that. We are changed when we worship success. We are changed when we worship comfort. We are changed when we worship beauty. We are changed when we worship um, the might and power of government. We are changed when we worship uh, our friendships, our family, even good things. When we worship those things, we are ultimately changed by those things. And the outcome is never that our hearts are more in love with God. Satan doesn't have to get us hooked on drugs to turn away from him. He just has to get us hooked on our jobs. He just has to get us hooked on, you know, just making a little bit more money. That's it, just a little bit more. We don't need to be rich. We just need to make a little bit more. He just needs to get us hooked on something other than God, and that we will ultimately be shaped and formed by that. Our affections, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, that's what I mean by that. This is where Our 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 worship plays out, and if we want to take a self-examination of our heart, we ask, "How are we spending our time? How are we spending our money? How are we prioritizing and valuing the things that are in our life?" You know, I I I think of, um, uh, you know, uh, if you're in a job where maybe the common way of going about something is maybe not the most ethical way of going about something, where you could totally get away with it, and in fact, it's kind of expected for you to do things like that in your job. And those moments where you have to make that ethical decision as a Christian, those moments where you have to say, no, I know that this is standard protocol, but I also know that this is not what the way it's supposed to be. This is, I know that this is not an action that if I'm submitted to God, I would do. That moment right there is a worship moment, hmm. Those are moments where you are choosing who you are worshiping. Are you choosing money? Are you choosing the comfort? Are you choosing just the lack of hassle of having to explain yourself to your coworkers as to why you went and did something that makes it so much more complicated, so much harder, maybe calls other people out, pushes against their norms and stuff like that, and shakes things up. Are you going to do that in service to God, or are you going to go with the norms which is truly and honestly in service to something else. Every decision we make, every everything that we do, is somehow derived from that. The decisions we make with our kids, with how—if we—I I think a huge idol that we have is the idol of education. Now, don't get me wrong; like I think education is important. I'm an educated person. I—I I, I believe in education. I believe our kids are going to be educated. All that stuff. But if that is our be-all and end-all of things then we will, if that is what we worship, then that will change and affect the way we parent. That will change and affect the way we spend our time. That will change and affect, honestly, the way our relationship happens as parents with our kids and quite frankly probably destroy it because that's what sin does. That's what idolatry does. Um, This is kind of where it kind of starts to, as you said, where the rubber meets the road. Uh, and I almost wanted to make fun of you for your basketball analogy, to take the bucket to the thing. It, it wasn't. Yeah, that it, was it, close. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to bring the bucket to the uh, the goal line um, here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I saw Aaron laugh. Sound like Brian Reagan right? more and more every
1: day.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this is this is where it becomes, I think, real to us. It's easy for us to show up on a Sunday morning and sing along to the songs. It's easy for us to show up and come and sit under the sermon and even nod to it and, and even agree with it. It gets really hard when we go home and we have to make those choices that are either in service to God or in service to our idols. That's when worship matters. Now, I'm not saying, and we're going to talk about this later, I'm not saying that what we do here on Sunday doesn't matter. And it, it, matters, it, 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 it matters a lot. But where it gets a lot harder is when it's out yeah, there. Right. And I think that this is what, if you look at just over and over again what God means when he's talking about worship, when he's talking about service, he does talk about it in the context of singing. He does talk about it in the context of what you do on like, well, in this context, like on a Saturday um, through the sacrifice system and stuff like that or for our context on a Sunday. But most of what he's talking about is doing what he says when it matters. Yeah, that's what worship really looks like. And so when we worship God, kind of it, what what the, what I really loved about this psalm is that kind of the flip side of it is that it exposes our idols. Yes, it, it is the more we worship the true God, recognize who He is, the more it shows in us and
1: in our hearts what we are idolizing apart from God. And I'll tell you, just you know, kind of give a shout out to uh, many in our congregation who truly do wrestle with this in the marketplace. I'm stunned by the number of times I'm having coffee with somebody or lunch or whatever and they're really wrestling with the reality of what it means to live out your faith in a marketplace that doesn't buy any of it and how hard that is and yet staying steadfast in your faith as Paul says in Philippians. Well Psalm 148 which is um, praising because he's creator. You great sea creatures of all depths, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name is exalted, his majesty is above earth and heaven he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise all his saints from, for, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This psalm for me, uh, I know it m- might be a little bit of a stretch, but this psalm to me calls into reality the fact that Christ is coming again. Because he talks about these things that he's created that are not going to perish, that are not going to fade away. And and it reminds us that many of us, um, our understanding of end times is actually incorrect, that God is going to destroy everything and then start over, when in fact what he's going to do is he's just going to bring us the new Jerusalem, and we're going to have a remodeled or recreated kingdom of God that we're going to live in that is now sort of the rebirth of, of the Garden of Eden, rather than just him destroying everything and starting over. These things are going to last. It's just that when Christ comes again, they're not going to be corrupted anymore. And that's why when he comes again, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more darkness, which I think is is really good. But we praise him because he created everything as well.
0: Yeah, kind of on that note, there's really two things that I see in the psalm. And one is, so I I just finished reading uh, The Last Battle from the C.S. Lewis uh, Chronicles of Narnia with my kids, which I really read more for me um, (laughs) than for my kids. My four-year-old, especially when we started, we got through all of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and like in the last chapter, I'm reading it, and my son is like, hey, Daddy, what's a wardrobe? I'm like, well, (laughs) I'd have gone over his head. (laughs) Um, and then I actually really struggled with trying to describe what a wardrobe was to my four-year-old. It um, <laughs> has nothing to do with what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but in the book The Last Battle, this is kind of when uh, Narnia gets destroyed and they're brought into what they find to be the new Narnia, uh, the real Narnia as they call it. They, they describe, uh, they, they, they come to this realization that they've been living in what they call the shadow lands, the, this shadow of the real thing. And this unicorn, his name is Jewel the Unicorn, uh, makes this incredible statement at the end of the book um, when they're talking about how they're recognizing things that are familiar but but new and better. Um, and, and he's saying, so this is why I loved so many things in the old Narnia, is because when I saw those things, they were something that was, they, was put there to remind me of the real Narnia. Yeah. You know, that we see things in this world and... The, and, and I really like the description of we're living in kind of this shadow land of the reality of what God's kingdom actually is. Um, That because of the fall, kind of this shadow has been cast over the world. But it's not because it's an entirely different world. It's because it's been corrupted and perverted by sin. And these things that we love in this world, we love it because God made it and it's beautiful. And that's those very things that we're going to enjoy in the new world. Uh, it, it, when he comes and back and, and, and restores creation. Yeah. And so I, 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 I love that picture of it. I love that kind of when we worship that, or when we worship God in that vein, we're reminded of that. And the other thing is I think what it means for us now, uh, I think we need to remember that worship extends beyond us, beyond people, that everything in this world was made to worship God and is longing to worship God. I think that that's something that's important. And it's really that the world has suffered as a result of man's yeah. sin. You know, that, that the, the discord within creation, the discord between, you know, uh, that's felt kind of within our ecosystems and stuff like that is not their fault. It's our fault. And that um, all of this stuff wants to be made right under God. It's kind of weird to think about. But like our dogs want to worship God. Except for Moose, your dog.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I don't,
0: I don't know what he wants. But, yeah, he wants, he wants <laughs> Frank. His heart has been skewed. Um, like, our, like the, the animals want to worship God. The, the, the plants, the creation, they want to worship God. And I think one of the ways that we show and we worship God is by stewarding that creation yes. in that way. Yeah. And I think that this is something... That is so easily missed, even in my own life. And there's probably depths that I have to examine in that reality. That this world should be, as Christians, stewarded in such a way as though we recognize that, these, that everything in this world is a worshiper of God. Yeah. Um, everything was made by God for him. Yeah. And if we see and understand creation in that vein, it should change the way we treat it. Just change the way we live in it. Even um, even
1: Paul says in Romans 8,
0: yeah. creation cries out yeah. in anguish. Yeah. I mean, not to sound too hippie or anything like that, but we should we should care. And because it's a way that we worship, it's a it's a way that we we show and manifest the goodness and glory of God. It's the way we treat creation because creation longs for it. Yeah. That's what I love this picture of of kind of the the hail and the the creatures in the deep and, and all of this stuff, they, they're wanting to worship God. Um, and the thing that's keeping us from it is the sin that we brought. Right. And so kind of really doing what we can to steward creation in such a way that shows this is what the world is supposed to look like
1: under the reign and rule of God. So now Psalm 149, which is, um, you told me this week, this is the one that really gets at you. Uh, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him and tam- with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy in their beds. Let the high praises of God be their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute them on them the judgment written. This is the honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Praise God because he's the true judge. Talk about that.
0: Yeah, what really stood
1: out to me, I, I think of
0: uh, this image of King David, where on the one hand he has a harp, and, and we know of him as the singing king. In the other hand, he has a sword. Um, I think of uh, this picture of him with the harp in one hand and the sword in the other as really an image of what a true worshiper should look like. And and bear with me as I explain this, because this is kind of what's said in the psalm. The first half is all about actually singing to him, using instruments to praise him, using music and shouting and, and, and being loud and being celebratory. That's what worship is, and that needs to be important. That needs to be something that shapes us and forms us. That's something that God deserves from us. It's for us to gather together and actually celebrate him and sing songs to him and and to recite prayers and and to pray to him. It says to sing on their beds. So this should be something that not only happens here, but at their homes. But on the other hand, he says you have this going on, but he also has the double-edged sword in his hand to execute God's justice throughout the world. That... There seems to be this weird dichotomy that we'll always put forth that says we're either about social justice or we're either about what goes on in here. And that dichotomy doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. Is that when we worship God, we sing his praise. We talk about who he is. we, We submit ourselves to him. We celebrate him. But when we see injustice, we fight for it. We fight against it. This goes beyond just being ethical at work but proactively fighting against injustice in this world. Looking at the systems that are surrounding us, looking at our sphere of influence and saying, what injustice do I see and what can we do to address it? That's that's worship just as much as singing songs on a Sunday. When we recognize, hey, you know, there's, there's a problem with foster care and adoption in this state. Instead of just recognizing that and showing up and singing on Sunday, saying, okay, what can we do to address that? We recognize that there's issues surrounding criminal justice. There's issues surrounding race. There's issues surrounding inequity. And, and there's issues surrounding um, our families and, and what's going on in our neighborhoods and stuff like that. The Christian should be at the forefront of that. Yeah. you know. And, and it's hard because I, I feel on the one hand, there's been a lot of times when uh, Christians historically have not been at the forefront of that and have actually used the Bible to justify
1: Very unjust things. Yeah, Yeah. not being at the forefront. And justify not being
0: there. But at the same time, uh, it's also interesting that so much of the movement forward in justice and what we know to be just and fair and right has been led by Christians. I think there's two sides of that. You know, there was on the one hand Christians that justified the slave trade and slavery through the scriptures. But there's also Christians that were driving the fight against it, driving to fight against abolition or fighting for abolition. Um, They were the ones that established hospitals. They're the ones that said, you know, we actually need to care for our kids and care for our elderly. You know, it was Christians that drove those things to where now we think that they're commonplace. Well, of course we need to care for our elderly. Of course we need to care for our kids. But if you look back historically at the Roman Empire, at some of the empires that follow you, that was not the value. Kids were not valued. Elderly were not valued. And that's something that Christians over time did because they cared about justice they had the sword in the one hand and they executed justice and so i i, I think that when we when we're truly worshiping we're doing both we're submitting yeah. ourselves and singing we're doing this stuff and we're going out and saying okay what do we need to do to change um
1: the sphere of influence that we have and, and the disruption that that is going to create in our lives we just need to recognize that that's real uh, the idea that just because we're doing what's right, and we're doing God's work, therefore we should have an easy and comfortable life, um, sounds good in theory, and I would like to embrace that too, but in practice, we all know that's not how it's going to happen. That, that it's, in a sense, it's us going and looking for trouble by doing what God calls us to do. All right, finally, Psalm 150 <clears throat> Praise God with everything, because he is everything. Uh, I will tell you, in just in introducing this psalm, and I don't think we'll spend too much time on this, but it's interesting to me, um, I'm older than Cody, and I've been through what people call the worship wars. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm so grateful right now to be at a church that is past that, that we're not having Long drawn out meetings and conversations every week about what instruments are godly and what instruments are from Satan. All right, yeah. This is the psalm that a vast majority of people that I know who call themselves, and they are Christians, I'm sure, but they would like it very much if there were only 149 psalms and not 150. Here's why Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him because he's God, and here's how you praise him. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Oh no. Praise him. <laughs> praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud Clashing cymbals. Here you go. Praise him with percussion. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So you've been around this a long time. So. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I I just echo everything he said. You know, that's one thing we, we, I have lived through some of that. And yeah, this should be something that we delight in. This should be something that we do. Obviously not loud enough to hurt our ears, which, by the way, we never do. We check. We make sure of that in here. But uh, that we have freedom to worship God, I think, in that way. I think that's the beauty of it. Music is so diverse. Uh, the way we approach him with art is so diverse that we have freedom in the way we do that, that we can do that. And, and the, only, the only other thing that I would say, because I think you said it perfectly, is um, when all is said and done, the heart of worship is we do this because God deserves it. Yes. And I, and I love that this is the way the Psalms end. Yes, it does something to us. Yes, it forms us. Yes, it shapes us and changes us. But ultimately, the reason why we show up here when we feel like it and when we don't, the reason why we go and do what God says when we feel like it or what we don't, the reason why we execute justice when we feel like it and when we don't is because God deserves it. Amen. There is no other right response to God other than
1: doing what he says because he deserves it. And, and, and that's what I love kind of about the way this
0: ends. Yeah. So.
1: Well, we hope that this is... I know this has been very different than what we normally do, but I hope it's been informative and helpful for you this morning. So, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, why don't you guys go ahead and get ready for our last song and communion. And it, could we invite the communion servers forward, please? Uh, also, um, any pastors, elders, deacons, uh, anybody who's going to be available to pray with people. Uh, this is our time to respond to everything that's happened uh, in this service up until now. We take communion, uh, we, we, we sing, we pray, uh, we give, uh, all of those things as uh, Cody and the praise team leads us in this. So let's go ahead and do that right now.